Book ten, chapter four of Round the Block by John Belbudin. The Sleepervox recording is in the public domain. The first of May. Mr. Chiffield proposed, was accepted, and was married in a Broadway church about the middle of April. The affair was simplicity itself bridesmaids, groomsmen, costly wedding costume, and the subsequent conventional reception at the bride's residence being dispensed with. The ceremony was witnessed only by the officiating minister, the sexton, the happy father, and about two hundred of the floating population of Broadway, including a number of pickpockets, one of whom sounded the recesses of the coat-tails appertaining unto Mr. Waddell and his son-in-law, as they were coming out of church, and found nothing in them. The Siamese twins of the soul passed from the church amid the sneers, criticisms, and suppressed laughter of the spectators, who united in pronouncing the ceremony a shabby affair, not worth looking at, and, entering a carriage with Mr. Waddell, were driven to the New Jersey Railroad Depot furiously, as if they had been guilty of some crime against society. At the depot Mr. Waddell kissed his daughter in public, and not without a touch of the melodrama for which he had cherished a fondness in his earlier days, and wrung the hand of his son-in-law. The train bore the couple away toward the city of Washington, where a portion of that indefinite season known as the honeymoon was to be passed amid every discomfort that money could purchase. Why they should have gone to Washington in pursuit of bad hotels and other miseries, when they could have procured them in so many other parts of the country for a quarter of the money, was something which Mr. Chiffield was never able to explain to his own satisfaction. He afterward bitterly regretted that he had not made the nuptial trip to Newburgh or some place near the city where the expenses would have been more moderate. But we anticipate. Mr. and Mrs. Chiffield had been absent ten days. They were expected home on the twenty-eighth day of April, but a letter from Clementina informed her father that she had taken a bad cold, was confined to her room, and could not return before the first of May. The brief note was written in a crabbed hand, and exhibited spots, which, if not lemon-juice, were tears. She made no allusion to her husband, but wound up by saying, "'Oh, Pa, I am an unhappy girl!' This intelligence was a thorn in the bed of Mr. Waddell's comfort. Had he not arranged to settle with his creditors on the first of May? Was not the owner of the house occupied and used by him to resume possession on that eventful day? And was not everything, even his daily food, dependent on the return of his children, as he fondly called them, with their pockets full of money? What if this infernal cold should keep them in Washington until after the first of May? As Mr. Waddell thought of himself, turned adrift and a wanderer, he invariably tore out a few of the gray hairs which could be poorly spared from his venerable skull. Mr. Waddell had a deep and unchanging faith in his ill luck, but this time he was pleasantly disappointed. The morning train on the first of May brought back his children to him. 
they arrived just as those bedouins of civilization the new yorkers were beginning to indulge their nomadic propensities the streets were full of wagons and drays laden with jingling stoves rickety bedsteads conspicuous crockery and other damaged panates on the way to new domiciles fortunately the owner of mr Waddell's residence had not yet come to claim possession creditors are early birds but the hour six and a half a m was even too early for them and one only mr rickarts the shoemaker had called he had been disposed of in the library by the servant under the pretence that mr Waddell was not yet up but mr Waddell was up and dressed before six o'clock and was watching for the expected carriage through the window blinds of his apartment he ran down to the door with juvenile briskness to receive the returning ones mrs chiffield looked pale and jaded her hair was carelessly arranged and her bonnet awry unerring indications of fathomless female misery to the anxious inquiry by her parent after her health she only replied horrid mr chiffield wore the aspect of a man who is disappointed in his just expectations he gave a hearty grip to the proffered hand of his father-in-law but he quarrelled with the driver over the fare and abused him in an undertone by way of relieving himself and how did you like washington my child said the fond father in his tenderest voice i hate it said mrs chiffield hurrying into the house as if she were running away from her husband hm well i'm not surprised that she dislikes the capital i believe most visitors do clemmy seems to be a little nervous from travelling eh mr Waddell addressed these remarks to his son-in-law nervous perhaps she is just a trifle nervous sir all women are true true one of the peculiarities of the sex well you have had a pleasant time i trust pleasant time oh yes delightful your daughter is a charming girl sir and will make a most excellent wife mr chiffield spoke as if he were very much in earnest but the expression of his face was not of rapture she is a treasure sir a perfect treasure replied the doting parent it cost me many pangs to part with her i trust that we shall not be separated now why should we be there are but three of us just enough for a happy family mr Waddell was hinting at a home under the future roof of his son-in-law i agree with you perfectly said mr chiffield with unaffected eagerness let us live together always it will suit me exactly he was thinking of free board and lodging at the house of his father-in-law the couple shook hands mutually pleased at the prospect and beamed on each other a part of this conversation took place in the hall into which the hackman had borne the traveller's luggage a pole was heard at the doorbell a loud confident pole which mr Waddell knew could be inflicted only by a creditor it would not do to admit his son-in-law into his budget of family secrets just yet so he said 
Now, Chiffield, you must need some rest. Let me not detain you, my dear fellow. Your room is on the first floor. I'll show it to you. Mr. Waddell snatched a carpet-bag out of the hand of his son-in-law, and hurried upstairs with him. Having turned that gentleman into the apartment reserved for him, and shut the door, Mr. Waddell paused at the head of the stairs and listened for the developments below. The servant, after waiting for two or three more jerks at the bell, so as to be quite sure that it was the bell, went to the door, and there found Mr. Numble, the butcher, who supplied the Waddells with meat on the strength of the brownstone front. Pursuant to instructions, the servant explained that Mr. Waddell was not up, and asked him to walk into the library and wait a few minutes. Mr. Numble growled, as if he scented deception not far off, but allowed himself to be conducted into the library. There he discovered Mr. Rickarts, the shoemaker, taking down the few books which graced the shelves of the library, and evidently pricing them with an unpractised eye. The two gentlemen knew each other, and straightway engaged in a brisk dialogue about the weather. End of Book 10 Chapter 4